0: forever dog.
1: Just between
2: us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. hello i'm Elsie raskin i'm a writer mental health advocate and my dog phantom is my best friend
3: hi i'm gabby don i'm a writer bicon bisexual icon Wink, And I went to a stranger's funeral on a yacht. What? Yeah. You don't even know about this. Melissa knows. Why does Melissa know? I don't know. She wanted to go on the yacht. But how did she even know about the yacht? TikTok.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't watch my friend's content. I'll yeah. be honest. I'll be honest about um,
3: that. Okay. So let me set the scene. It's, it's during the day on Friday. And myself and my partner... We're very close friends with our neighbor who passed away. Mm-hmm. These people knock on our front door, and we go, we're like, "Hello," and they're like, "Hi, sorry. Um, we just were, we wanted to know what happened to Dita," and we what? were like, "Oh," and so we open the door, and they're like, "Hi, sorry. We're the the. Uh, it's a couple. How uh, old like, are they? Uh, probably in their forties, fifties. Okay. And they're um, and so they're on the other. So they go." We live in the house, like, down the road. They described the house. We know that house. And they were like, "What?" we went and knocked on Dita's door. She's not there. And, you know, we haven't seen her in, like, nine months. Um, usually we see her outside and stuff. So, like, we were just wondering if you kn- knew her and if you know what happened. And we were like, I'm so sorry to tell you she-, she passed away in May. And they were like, oh, that's so sad. Like, we've lived here for 20 years. She lived here, you know, since the 70s. We used to see her all the time. She came to barbecues and stuff and they we are like yeah she, i'm so sorry she passed away and they were so then we start talking we get to talking with them they leave we're like that was so nice we exchange numbers we're like oh so nice the guy texts mal and says hey tomorrow actually we're going out on a yacht with um our friend his mother just died and they're having a memorial on the yacht but it's not a memorial it's like you know he's just having people on this yacht and it's going to be like food and drinks and music and he said we could bring whoever we wanted up to like 10 friends and a couple of our friends are coming and you guys seem really nice like do you want to come on the yacht and mal and i are like we do want to go on a yacht
2: wow this feels so risky to go on a boat with a bunch of strangers
3: agreed yes we are two transsexuals deciding if we will go on a boat with some strangers they i want to say people in the comments of mal's video uh saying that this is like Dangerous or whatever, and or like true crimey. I understand that. I don't know if it hurts or helps that they are not white. It's not like a white boomer couple, so I felt a little bit safer about it. And because white boomers are terrifying, and so mal checked, they are in fact who they say they are. They have social media presences. They they do in fact own that house, etc. Right. So we're like, okay, let's like let's go on this yacht. So we're like, what should we bring? We bring flowers. And they, it keeps being like, this is really just like a casual hang. We're like, okay. So we get there and it's like a family. He's wearing all white, the main guy, the, our, our friend. And so he is like it's holding your a binder. It's
2: not your friend's yacht.
3: It's not his yacht. But no. he's wearing all white. He's wearing all white. We okay. realize he's leading the service. Oh, so no. we're like, uh, we go, we go on the boat. We realize that's, a that's a, it's a family. We're slowly realizing that it's like a family. What do you mean? Like, it's not just a bunch of friends. Like, it's like this guy, his family.
2: Whose mother is it his, that died? His mother. But he said it was his friend's mother. No,
3: no, 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 no. The friend, yes. The The friend is like, hey, so good to see you. So nice to meet you. Like, so-and-so told me all about you guys. Like, thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for the flowers. And so he's like jazzed and like kind of being like, you know, here's, here's these pictures of her that we're giving out and like all this stuff. Um, she's a great woman, everything. But like, he's the only one that's kind of hyped. Everyone else in the family is like. I'm really
2: confused. Are you saying that your neighbor is
3: the one leading the ceremony? The neighbor is the one that looks like he's leading the ceremony. The neighbor's friend is the one whose mother passed away. And it, so
2: are they related
3: to make it one family? No, it's, it's a family. And then it's our two neighbors and then me and Mal. Okay, got and it. And so we get and also uh the, the our neighbor's other friend who's who so the out of the 10 people that they invited like three of us came. So we go, we get on the boat and we're like, "Oh, this is like one other than us and the neighbor and their one friend, this is like a family." It's a big boat, but there's only probably like 25 people on the boat total. It becomes, there's like a big placard of the woman. It becomes, as we're pulling off the shore, it becomes clear that this is a funeral. (laughs) Oh, no. We're like, okay. So, but we're having like a good time with like our neighbor and like meeting this one friend of theirs and stuff. They're so nice. They're so wonderful. Like everything is fun. And, but like the family is kind of like eyeing us. And then the, (laughs) we go, there's like food. The guy, the uncle, or so, okay, so the main guy whose mother passed away, he's, like, talking to us and being, like, you know, jazzed. And he's wearing, like, just, like, a shirt and sneakers. And then there's, like, food. So, Mal and I go upstairs to get the, the food. So, we're in line. We're eating the food. An older woman says to Mal, I'm sorry, who are you here with? And we're, like, oh. And Mal's, like, um, with the, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z. And uh, she's, like, oh. And, like, clearly not pleased. And so we are slow. so like uh, uh, eventually a few family members are like, and how do you guys know? Like, you know, trying to and like and then one girl was like, oh, that's cute. You guys get to like come on a yacht. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh. They're all very Italian. So it's got like a, a vibe of like bullish Italian, which like as Jews we like and are like comfortable with. But then they like 45 minutes in, they stop the boat. Everyone goes to the front. Our neighbor leads a service they put the woman's ashes to see with the flowers that Mal and I brought.
2: Oh my the, God. The
3: main, the, the guy whose mother it is, is like, thank you so much for the flowers. It was the perfect touch. They put not just her ashes to see, her daughter who passed three years ago, uh, unexpectedly, they put her ashes to see as well. People, the family members are crying, are talk, talk, sharing memories. They have a group photo. They make me and Mal be in it. What? Yes. Slowly, where Mal Mal says, "You know what?" Mal was like, "I have a crazy uncle. Like I could see a situation where my someone dies and my uncle invites a bunch of strangers to the funeral, thinking that it's totally fine." And the rest of the family is like, "Can you fucking believe what our crazy yeah. uncle did?" We are the randos that he invited to right, the funeral. Right. Yes. This is going to be a thing that the rest of the family for years are going to be years. like remember when uncle so and so invited all those random people Not to even grandma's uncle, funeral because it's just the friend. No, he the main oh the uncle allowed his friend friends to, to, invite invite friends, pe- to, invite to invite friends to invite a bunch of people to invite people he'd met the day before to a funeral. Yes. So we were very respectful. We asked questions. We were like it's so nice to like, you know, tell us about her life. Like, it's so nice to learn about her. Like we were being like incredibly respectful. Like we obviously we don't drink. So we were like sober. Like we were like being very unobtrusive. Like, but it was very clear that it was like the family was sort of like, why are these people here? Us and, and, um, the other woman who the two people had invite the neighbors and the family members don't really know the neighbors either. So it's like, I would say five of us who are not needed at this (laughs) funeral that are on this boat for four hours. Four hours? Yeah. Having a fine time, drinking seltzer, looking at the ocean, seeing dolphins and stuff. But like, definitely also there's like a family dynamic that we are not a part of. And so like one of the girls is saying like, you know, speak crying and talking about her grandmother. And she's like, one of my favorite memories was like Uncle Roger's um, wedding. Sorry to bring up your wedding, Uncle Roger. But it was one really great time for me again. Sorry to bring it up. And I'm, I don't know. I need to know what happened at Uncle yeah. Roger's
2: wedding. Well, I don't think anything happened at the wedding. They're divorced. I bet something happened at the marriage.
3: Yeah. And then, yeah. And then we got off. And then the main guy was, or the guy whose mother passed away was like, we were very, I mean, we were so respectful. We were like, this was so lovely. Thank you for having us. It was such an honor to learn about her life and what she meant to all of you and all these things. And he just goes, well, we got another person in the family. It's got 30 days, so we might all be back here again. <gasps> oh,
0: my God. People are so that was my wild. That
3: was my Saturday. That was last Saturday. <laughs> anyway, this is just between
2: us, a variety <laughs> show
3: filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. We, we were kind of doing a thing where we're like saying yes to stuff. We're I like, was going to say, like you
2: saying yes, set this in motion. Like I would never do this. But th- I would we never were like, go okay, in the so first place. So these random
3: neighbors invited us on a boat the next day, and then I also had like just seen a forensic files where t- where t- three people had died this way, and I was like, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> this is like when we went to that Halloween party. That's a little different
2: because that was like your town and other, it was a bigger event. This is like a funeral that you crashed. We didn't
3: know it was a funeral. It was
2: a memorial.
3: Which they pitched to us so hard as being like, it's not a funeral. It's not going to be a downer. We're celebrating her life. It's going to be music and other friends. Like that's how it was pitched. Oh Oh boy. Wild stuff. Anyway, we need hobbies, me and (laughs) Mel. We have got a great episode for everyone today. We're going to be talking to Claire Fallon and Emma Gray all about TV, dating, reality shows, and The Bachelor, and inclusivity. It's like a really fun convo. And later, we'll be talking all about quiet quitting, and what does it mean, and is it real?
2: No. Not really. (laughs) But first, we have got to answer a listener's question, and you know what that means? Hit it! Hit it! International question. International question. International question. Cat. Canada.
3: Ooh, love it. Bonjour, Montreal. I don't know. I'm guessing.
2: Okay. <laughs> Hi, Gabby and Allison. Huge fan of the pod. My question is: Do I actually have to come out? So, no. all right. Next segment on no, just no, between. No, 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 no.
3: Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs>
2: So I'm a sex-pleasurable asexual. I have sex and I enjoy it. One of the main reasons I don't often tell people about my sexuality is because it's kind of incongruent with my sexual activity. And in order for people to understand it, I have to talk about my sex life. It feels like I need to give more information than other people do just so people won't write me off as non-sexual. If you're gay, you say you're gay and people just move on. You say you're ace and people assume you're celibate. It's exhausting and kind of unnecessarily vulnerable to have to explain your sex life to people every time you reveal your orientation, even to people in the queer community, heck, even to other types of aces. People find it deeply confusing, and half the time I have to use analogies and get into the difference between romantic attraction, sexual attraction, and libido. Recently, someone asked, and I said, I'm an opportunist. I'm never looking for anything, but I accept a lot of good offers. The sex version of not hungry, but I could eat. Basically, if I say asexual, I feel like I'm misrepresenting myself. And if I get into it, I feel like I'm oversharing. I just feel like most people don't deserve to know this information about me. Like they haven't earned it. But in our culture and in the queer community, which I haven't always felt welcome in, there's this huge emphasis on the importance of coming out and living your truth. I feel like I do that every day. I have sex when I feel like it and I knit scarves when I don't. Nice. Am I really missing out on something? When I bother to explain it to people, they're usually someone I already trust and would already be having deep conversations with, but the rest of the world can think what they think. I was worried about whether or not this was just internalized ace phobia, but when I found out that some of my close friends told other people, I didn't actually care. So I don't think I'm hiding it. I just don't feel like it's most people's business. But the question is whether you think coming out and being out is essential. Do you think that I'm hurting the ace community by not being more open about it? Or am I a part of the problem by not being a loud and proud ace? Or can I just keep living the way that feels most natural and comfortable to me? And is this question (laughs) way too long? I'd appreciate your insight.
3: No, I think you're incredibly self-aware and incredibly like you've thought this through and you're incredibly insightful about it. I think the only reason to come out is to find community. So if you are looking for other ace people that you want to hang out with and spend time with and you would feel comfortable and it would feel better to you to have more friends who understand you or have more friends where you're not explaining your sexuality to them, but rather you're already in a group that understands this type of thing, then that is the benefit. The only, the only true benefit that I would push on you is the fact that coming out allows you to find community. It allows other people to find you it allows you to feel understood and and uh, included and part of something, whether there's like, we're having an, you know, an ace drinks event or we're having, you know, some sort of like asexual um, panel discussion. And then, you, you know, people know to invite you or or you know to go to these things. That's it, honestly. The rest of it, you don't have to do anything. Like you seem completely in tune with what you want and what you are. You didn't mind when your friends told other people. I think you know and you've said it yourself and you know that like you don't owe anyone anything. You don't have to explain why you're having sex just because you identify as asexual. People have the wrong idea about these things all the time. And like the other only thing I can think of is that you mentioned like, you know not wanting to ruin sort of uh romantic connections by someone thinking oh well if that person's asexual if cat's asexual they're obviously not going to be interested in me and i am guilty of that definitely like i've had people say you know oh i'm i'm demisexual or oh i'm asexual and so i in the past have assumed oh they're not interested in me and then later they've been like no i was interested in you i just you know, need to feel very comfortable in order to have sex, or I need to like get to know someone or I need to like be in the right mindset or whatever. So like I had the wrong ideas about asexuality and about demisexuality. And so I can see how you would worry that somebody would have those wrong ideas and you would be missing out on romantic connections because somebody is misunderstanding you. But again, that means, you know what? Community might be the solution to that, honestly. But other than that, I think you're fine.
2: Yeah. And I mean, like you said, like you don't need to ever overshare something
3: if you don't want to share it. 100 percent. You don't have to tell people about your sex life. Right. And so
2: like I think like the way that you're doing it now where you don't have like a blanket way that you approach it, but it's more case by case. What situation do you feel comfortable with? Like, you know, putting these hard and fast rules of like I need to come out to everyone or I shouldn't come out to anyone. Mm -hmm. Like You don't need that. I think you have found like a really lovely balance where when you feel comfortable with somebody, you can share more. And when you don't, you don't need to you don't need to share anything. And I also think that like this fear of like somebody misunderstanding you, like I totally get that. And I totally get the idea of like a big fear of misrepresentation. Mm -hmm. But I also think that like if you identify as asexual, like you're allowed to just leave it at that.
3: I agree. And I think, too, there's a lot of, you know, you mentioned sort of discomfort in the queer community, and I think there is a lot of emphasis in the queer community on sex and on, you know, like, there's, like, oh, are you a top? Are you a bottom? Like, that's, like, a, a big part of people's identities, and they use them as, like, and I love that, speaking as a top, I love it, but, like, there, that is a thing that we put a lot of pressure on to define, or we put a lot of pressure on people to, like, define their the specifics of what they're doing sexually and I don't know that that's great for us (laughs) and I think that that probably causes problems with asexuals in the community or with people who are a little bit shyer in the community I remember like if someone is like in in queerness if somebody's like well I don't want to say if I'm a top or bottom whatever like people are like boo boo really like very like they are not fun but it's like I think like we could all take a step back and like be a little less entitled to other people's details
2: yeah I mean really thinking of that like nobody is entitled to your details and also like you don't have to it's probably exhausting to feel like you always have to explain yourself totally like what's really cool is that you have figured out how you tick and what you like and that's enough that's great like it's not your responsibility to be able to articulately relay that to other people
3: totally it's on them knit me a scarf girl
2: (laughs) (laughs) so thank you for submitting this question because i think it is such an interesting thing and points out some like really kind of like maybe unfair expectations we do put on on people in the queer community to be so open about their sex lives
3: well think about like how with bisexuals people are like well how many have you been with of Mm -hmm. every kind tell me or like, a cis gay man, or are you a top or are you bottom? Or with lesbians, like, oh, like, which which one of you does this and which one of you does that? It's like, relax, everyone. Just, I guess my general note would be chill the fuck out.
2: Nobody's ever like, I'm straight. And it's like, oh, how many guys have you fucked?
3: Yeah, <laughs> or, like, or like, I'm straight. <laughs> oh, which one of you, like, is on top? Like, nobody asks that. Yeah,
2: it's such a good point.
3: So, whatever. You know, like, I think I think you're good. It's always funny when someone writes in and they like have like such a better grasp on themselves than we ever possibly could. So we're, I'm like, why are you asking? Like, do you look at look at do you think we have it together? You wrote a very beautiful and articulate email. What the hell could we help you with? Sometimes it's just nice to feel like, oh, heard. yeah, heard. Yeah. And like
2: and also that like, yeah, like that makes sense. All the things you're saying make sense. Yeah, I know for me, it can be really helpful. I don't know necessarily need someone to get me where I need to go. But just once I've gotten there for them to be like, yeah, I get it is helpful.
3: Yeah. And like where in Canada? Do you want to hang out? <laughs> if you would like to submit your international question,
2: you can send it to just between us pod at gmail.com. That's just between us pod
3: at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting and juicy interview with our highly esteemed guests, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray. Stay tuned.
2: Turtles All the Way Down is the acclaimed number one bestseller by John Green, author of The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns. Turtles All the Way Down is now streaming on Max. NPR named the novel a, quote, Sometimes heartbreaking, always illuminating glimpse into how it feels to live with mental illness. Aza Holmes never intended to pursue the disappearance of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake and her best and most fearless friend Daisy is eager to investigate. So together, they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Pickett's son, Davis. Aza is trying. She's trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living with the ever-tightening spiral of her own thoughts. Turtles All the Way Down is a brilliant novel about love, resilience, and the power of lifelong friendship. As someone with OCD, it is so wonderful to see OCD represented in an incredible book. I think it is so important that we talk about mental illness, both in our own lives and through narrative. Buy your copy of Turtles All the Way Down in stores today and catch the movie streaming on Max. Hi everyone, Allison here. It so much. So if you want to take part in book of the month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. just between us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most
3: controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Emma Gray and Claire Fallon, the hosts of a very popular podcast. Love to see it, which is all about the Bachelor franchise and other dating reality shows, but with a feminist and journalistic eye on the shows.
4: Hello. Hello. Thank you for that wonderful intro. We're so excited to be here.
2: Yeah. Oh, my. I could dive into <laughs> this topic for hours, as I have with both of you on your show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that like my first question has got to be like, why do you think people love reality dating shows so much?
5: Oh, what's that's a not big to question. Love? <laughs> I know. How, I, I was like, that's a big question. I'm like, why not? Like, <laughs> obviously, people love them. Both things are true. I think that that these shows offer something that everyone craves, which is obviously gossip. Like, we all want to be bonded together through discussing <laughs> all the embarrassing and weird shit that other people do, especially with regards to their love lives. I think that people love romance. We love to believe in love. And so it also offers us love stories so many of us are obsessed with love stories. It's drama, it's chaos. It just feeds like every consumeristic, like narrative impulse that I personally
4: have. And I know I'm not alone. Oh, absolutely. I agree with everything that Claire said. I think that there is something specific about dating and romance where it is a topic that can kind of overwhelm our individual brains. And it's something that feels both very collective and also very, very individual, right? Like we're all kind of on our own little dating and romantic journeys. And that can feel really isolating a lot of the time. And so I think there is like a soft piece of ourselves that these reality romance shows kind of hit at. And also like a voyeurism of... And uh, and also a simplicity of like, oh, wouldn't it be so nice and convenient if there was just like this really clear set of structured steps and this pool of just 20 random people and (laughs) if you just like did the thing at the end of a few weeks (laughs) you're gonna have love I mean is there any other genre that
5: completely (laughs) blends together so perfectly our desire for like aspirational wish fulfillment and the desire to like gaze upon a train wreck and be yeah. like at least I'm not like that <laughs> like it marries those things together beautifully
2: I will be watching The Bachelor and get so nervous for when I have to do it only to be like <laughs> I don't I'm not going to be on this show like I will be watching and be like oh when I'm at the rose ceremony <laughs> like, I'm never going to be at the rose ceremony
0: yeah <laughs> It creates
3: a level, even like I remember watching the queer season of Are You The One? It creates a level of stress where I've put myself in that situation. And I was like, oh, my God, this person is me. This person is my ex. This person is like it just triggered all of the things where you're like projecting yourself into the entire situation. Oh, yeah. I was legitimately having like stressful moments watching it because i had just broken up with someone who is similar to one of the characters characters person a real person, <laughs>
5: <laughs> person but they are also they're kind of both characters right? they are they're both real people and they are constructed characters on the show which is one of the most horrifying things about yeah. reality tv
2: Yeah, I mean, that gets to sort of like the morality of it all, right? Because like, you know, I think like we try to be good people in this world. We try not to exploit people. But then we're also like consuming this type of show that like kind of hinges on exploitation. And so how do you like navigate that in your head? Because I have a hard time
4: doing it. Uh, Just like a constant feeling of like death in the pit of my stomach. Like that, like, like there isn't really a good solution. And it's something that I think we often sort of talk ourselves in circles about. And like where we sort of land is these cultural products exist and they are popular for a reason. And like, if the two of us just decide not to watch, they're not going to go away. And they are saying something about and also simultaneously kind of constructing the culture. And so I think what we try to do is be critical consumers of this kind of media and like encourage other people who might want to or find themselves enjoying these shows but but want to do so in a way that maybe feels a little bit more constructive or ethical like to try to kind of get in the mud with us and ask the important questions and see what kind of lessons we can we can glean yeah Yeah, I think
3: it does create like a lot I mean I watch it as like an observer of straight culture where I'm just like, what is this? (laughs) The
4: straights aren't Um, okay. Like it's very clear from The Bachelor one episode. And you're like, it's not, we're not well. And
3: I remember (laughs) you pitched me the show at one point being like, it's about polyamory. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) in a way it is. Because I'm so like, there's all of these queer ideas in it where it's like, they're all friends while they're dating the same person. They're all like, you know, uh, know that the other person is going on other dates, allowed to be in love with multiple people and almost like, oh my God, you could be in love with two people at the end. Like, obviously they make you choose, but, you know, I there's these like queer ideas to this thing that is so heterosexual and so straight. And, you know, it's, I think there's been more people coming out, not Colton, he doesn't count, but um, <laughs> the other ones... <laughs> Like, I think it does have such an impact if we can get these types of things in front of the eyeballs of like the most mainstream audience, whether it's like their neurodivergent stuff that happened with the uh, Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Elizabeth. and ADHD or um, Demi being bisexual. Like we are getting these little it seems slow to me progress, but it is like we are getting small things through. Even like that they were promoting bros on the Mentel all, which is like the first studio gay rom-com. My partner was like, "Why are they doing this?" And I was like, "No, this is good. This is good."
5: <laughs> They're willing to like sell a segment to bros, but like <laughs> that like the idea that they would ever have in- include like a gay romance as the main threat on their show, is much more threatening to their show structure. And like, that I think will take longer to accomplish. Like, we we talk about like the polyamory element of the show or like all of these sort of queer elements, but those are like in the show, almost as the threats that you have to like battle through to get the prize of heterosexual monogamous love at the end. And so like, I think for the mainstream audience consuming it, you're looking at it and you're like, oh, so, like, this is what happens when you fall in love with multiple people. Everyone's miserable and it's Mm. terrible. You just have to hang on and hope that you're the one who's picked at the end. And, like, yours is the monogamous love that is is worth holding on to. And that polyamory stuff was just, like, some, like, nightmare test for you to get through. And I think that's how, like, a lot of the time how these sort of uh, marginalized experiences are used in reality mm-hmm. TV. Like they're included, but in a way that's sort of like, but we like clamp down on this in some way or we're actually including it in order to be like, that's something that we have to like protect our our ourselves from. Like mm-hmm. it's a dangerous thing. And I think The Bachelor is like the ultimate example of that. They're like, we're doing this crazy, like edgy thing, but all in service of like ultimately banishing it in favor of marriage between two white people to a white man and a white woman who will have children. Christian children. Christian children. Beautiful. And if they're not Christian, we're simply not going to talk about
2: it. I will say... The one thing that has been exciting is seeing some conversations that have happened on the show and knowing that those conversations might be the first time Mm -hmm. that a lot of the audience has seen conversations about that stuff, you know, from like men talking about going to therapy openly to, you know, like Michelle discussing the impact of Black Lives Matter and that in the summer of 2020. And, you know, like I feel like there have been moments where I'm like, oh, like this is a way to potentially change some people's perspectives or open some people's eyes in the disguise of a very heteronormative conservative show. Yeah.
4: yeah. It's like this delicate dance that you're always trying to do where it it does feel inherently positive to see just, it, and just like a testament to the fact that when you, have a greater diversity of lived experiences and the people that you are casting and the people that are making your show, you're going to have all of these new and interesting threads. Like you're Mm -hmm. just going to have more creative and interesting storylines when you cast different kinds of people. Also, it's it's hard because sometimes we do see these people that are so vulnerable and I think so like giving and generous of themselves in a really vulnerable and sort of inherently exploitative setting and then you face the question of like are these people being supported is there an infrastructure there to actually support them from and protect them from the reactions of certain segments of the audiences of this show so it's like you're like that's great but also like I I hate seeing people put in these positions that could ultimately be harmful and it's like how do you kind of change the structure around them so that So that that doesn't like create more harm.
3: Yeah. I was curious. A thing that keeps coming up now is like different body types on the show.
4: Mm -hmm. Like if
3: there's, Mm -hmm. if there's, you know, a world for like a fat person on the show or like a fat lead even. Or um, I sometimes like if, if a guy, if one of the guys takes off his shirt to get in the hot tub and he doesn't have abs, I'm like, love it. Yes, like, yeah, my man, you know? So it's like, but That's that, beautiful. but then they don't really have women like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you think yeah. that that yeah. is something that could happen?
5: It could. Am I like optimistic <laughs> that yeah, the show I'm is? is yeah. <laughs> I'm not optimistic. I think it's. Important and, like, amazing that, for example, the Roses for Everybody campaign campaign um, is really pushing for more body diversity on the show and for, like, centering the idea of casting fat contestants and showing them as beautiful and desirable. And also, like, I think that campaign recognizes there's a huge amount of work that The Bachelor as a franchise would have to do, aside from casting, right. to make that work. You know, you have to cast people who are genuinely interested in dating people with diverse bodies. Like you can't just throw a couple plus size women on a TV show just to get treated like garbage by The Bachelor or sent home night one. And that's just on a very basic level. There's also like Emma mentioned about racial diversity, all these ways that contestants need to be supported behind the scenes, styled correctly. So it, it would be a big shift and I certainly don't think that the show is interested in making it, let alone in doing all the work that needs yeah. to be done to make it go well. But I think it would really improve the show. I mean, I think that the 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 show is is suffering from its yeah. it's It's, it's hitting a wall. Yeah. I mean,
3: even like casting people with disabilities in certain ways, like the one guy from I forget whose season Cam. Cam, Hannah Brown. He yeah. just had his leg amputated. Like that made me think it would be so interesting to have someone on the show who comes into the show like with a different sort of body type or with a different sort of disability or something. Like, and I know that that would be then seen as a gimmick. But like, what if you just did that a little bit more? Like it's just bore. It's getting to be boring without different types of people.
4: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think you know, the only way you're going to get over that hump is to just start doing it. And in like critical numbers, you know, we Sarah Heron, who does have a disability, physical disability, she is, I think, the only representation that I can remember really seeing on The Bachelor. And in a lot of ways, I think she had a decent experience, but I also know on Bachelor in Paradise, then they featured some like really, really cruel and disgusting comments that one of the contestants, Chad, makes specifically about, about her limb difference. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, when you just throw one person in there, mm-hmm. there is just so much room for tokenization, and exploitation, and it's hard like with in terms of body diversity I don't see I think in order for them to really make those changes they would need to put a lot of work and a lot of money behind that and resources mm-hmm. and I also think that there would be a period of growing pains where some people yeah. who were cast on the show would probably have to go through it and right. that is also yeah, hard. It
5: would be an, uh, an an audience education process yeah.
3: We just had Ethan was like the first is it like the first Asian contestant to get like a kiss with a lead on air or something. Uh, that, like the first just,
4: Asian. He made it the furthest, I believe, in the that,
5: show.
3: That yeah. is wild.
5: Yeah. He made it to what? Final six. Yeah. Or so we're what not even I? there on that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of work. I mean, the show has historically been very poor at racial diversity and a lot of that conversation has understandably focused on Black contestants being cast, but it's also been in terms of Asian American men, Mm -hmm. you know, there's almost no representation at all. And, you know, Latinx contestants as well. Like, yeah, there's just a a complete lack of attention to that across the board historically. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Another thing that I feel like has made me less of a fan of the show is like how none of these relationships work out. (laughs) That Like, you know, like it's hard. It's getting hard to like buy into the romance when like everyone breaks up like so quickly afterwards or like doesn't even make it to after the final rose. Like, why do you think that the concept of the show seems to to fail so much
4: <laughs> I mean I think that's kind of always been the case like if you look even from the beginning it's not like the couples in the first 10 seasons stayed together um you know there's very few except Ryan. for Trista except for Trista and Ryan <laughs> uh but they are like they're like yeah. the one they the two of them and then like Sean and Catherine's like every time one works out the show is like remember yeah. these people it <laughs> took like a decade for them to get one Bachelor, yeah. Bachelor in to Paradise. Actually stay with Paradise. Bachelor in Paradise has, I think at this point, a sl- maybe stories. some, some success stories. I, I but think they, they get more to start yeah. with though. So each season, they have the possibility
5: of like 10 engagements if they're yeah, really, they're lucky. like, okay, three,
4: at least like one will make it a year. And like, that's enough for people. But I think part of like what we're all feeling is that the show itself is less invested in telling good, cohesive, romantic stories. Like the focus of the show has become so much on figuring out more and more emotionally traumatic ways to kind of break the format without fundamentally breaking the format. And so instead of focusing on like real substantive changes they could make to the stakes of the show or the casting of the show or what the show is actually trying to do, Instead, they're like, no, 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 this is still definitely a marriage show. This is about engagement. This is about true, lasting love. But also, like, we're going to give you very little to buy into, except for the fact that at least 60% of the cast will be, like, extremely emotionally traumatized by the end.
5: Yeah. You used to feel like they were manipulating you to being invested in that final couple right. even when maybe you shouldn't be and now it's almost like they're doing the opposite they're like do you really believe in these guys like <laughs> and they're the manipulating down?
3: them into being mm-hmm. together in front of our eyes yeah. more than showing like isn't this a beautiful love right. story
5: yeah and there's another thing going on which is that the the contestants and used to come off the show or the leads and be influencers and now we're sort of expecting to follow them mm-hmm. like all of those couples broke up, and except for Tristan and Ryan in the first like decade of the franchise, and it would be in People or like Us Magazine, it'd be like, oh, like Allie and Roberto broke up, like that's a bummer. But everyone would have moved on, like. Eh. Mm-hmm. And now we're expecting to follow like Rachel and Brian, um, one of our actual success stories. We're expecting to like follow their story on social media every Forever. day for years to come. And so the, the, the strife that turns up in these relationships, the breakups, the churn, feels like it looms much larger in Bachelor Nation than it once would have. We would all be like totally maybe focused on the current season. Instead, we're devoting a lot of our time to like keeping tabs on all of those former leads and their partners.
2: That's a great point. And it kind of brings up like another question I had, which was like, how much are we owed to still know about them? Like, you know, like we've talked about this on the show before, but like, if we saw your whole love story unfold, like I want all the details of your breakup too.
4: (laughs) I think it's so normal that people who have invested time and energy into a televised couple, like do feel some level of entitlement, curiosity to, to understand how things kind of wrap up. But it's, It's hard. It's like, how do you create that balance where people are still allowed to have some amount of healthy boundaries and, you know, be able to communicate to their fan bases? Like, they're not actually entitled to every single piece of their romantic lives until the end of time just because they went on one season of a television show. I think that if you go and you get engaged or you date someone on TV, you should expect that you at least need to, like, say something publicly if and when you end that relationship. But do you have to answer every single commenter every single day you don't post a photo mm-hmm. with that person who says, are you broken up? Are you broken up? Are you still together? Why haven't we seen them? Like, no, no, we aren't actually entitled to, to that kind of like daily surveillance. But I think social media makes us feel like we, we are.
5: Well, and part of that is on... The contestants yeah. too. I mean, to some extent, like if if you are clearly building your influencer platform on the relationship that yeah, you that's in, true. if you're making it a big part of your content, then it is sort of hard to turn around and argue, like, how dare you, you know, I wanna know, wanna know what's going on with us. They've just disappeared from my feed and I won't be addressing it. Like, no, like you're making your living off of selling that information to everyone. And you have to understand that that is creating a sense of entitlement to people like you are selling that sense of entitlement to your romantic details to people. They're
3: not ready. They want, they it's a, it's a heavy mix of like, you get off the show. You didn't have this audience before. Now you do. So you want to post constantly with the person because that's going to get the most likes and views rather than just you by yourself. You want the the influencer money. You want to try to get brand mm-hmm. deals if you're not getting brand deals. Sometimes probably the brand deals are like, we would love to do a commercial with you, grocery store, Joe, but Serena has to be in it or like whatever. Oh, wow. Most likely it's <laughs> we want Serena and you could be there as well. Uh, but like, <laughs> you know, I think like it's that kind of thing. And, and so they're not prepared either. They go on the show hoping to become an influencer afterwards, or they come off the show and they ha- were t- had genuine intentions and they don't realize that it's going to be a fucking circus for them and this person for the f- forever. And like, is, is, yeah. do you buy into the circus? Do you want the money? Do you play? Do you make these like, very clean, beautiful videos that Hannah G and Dylan make or you know what I mean? Like
5: <laughs> I'm just dying to know what Hannah G and Dylan's actual life is like when they're not like they doing date night me. and she's putting on a tiny dress. I'm sure they are. But like all I know about them is that she's always putting on little dresses and doing her like date night makeup routine. And then he like
4: he kisses is her.
3: A, I think he's a wife guy. He's definitely a wife he's guy. He's just happy to be there. So
4: real. Yeah. <laughs>
3: He's just happy to be there. Yeah. Uh, good for him. <laughs> uh, and so I'm like, you know, I, I, they, they're not ready. There's no media kit. I imagine the show does not prepare mm. them. You, you don't yes. have to. I think also like start, you know, we start out on the on the Internet in a certain way and you don't have to answer. Like if you go to Reddit and you see people are like discussing whether you're wearing your ring or not, you don't have to address that. These are just Reddit people. But it feels in the moment so immediate yeah. that you're like I must respond, I must respond. A lot of times oh the God. best response is to just do nothing, but you're not media trained. You don't know. You you were a realtor 5 weeks ago. So like you just don't have any idea.
4: <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a good point. There is such an odd thing where like people can achieve this level of instantaneous overnight micro-fame now and it I think we underestimate like the impact on people's Mental like health, mental stress, stability. Yeah, like yeah. I, I think that we even feel it. You know, having a very, very small platform in the a niche podcast space, and I still like if someone is angry at me on Instagram or like on Reddit, like I get like severe anxiety, and that's such a fraction of what someone who comes off a reality show and is engaged and you're bringing your family into
3: it and then they're nitpick your family and like I get it no you know someone goes on the show their uncle wore a MAGA hat one time in a picture I get it we're all upset but like you know you're not like (laughs) thinking like oh god I hope my uncle didn't wear a MAGA hat one time and now everyone on reddit hates me like it's wild what's going on.
5: Yeah, there is an incredible amount of scrutiny on Bachelor contestants that like doesn't really exist for any other reality right. show, which if I were coming up in the world and I was like looking to get cast on a reality show, I would not go for The Bachelor <laughs> if I could avoid it for that for that reason, among others. Hopefully I wouldn't have any photos like that in my past. I'm not aware of any, but like. <laughs> Reddit commenters figure out everything that, you know, I wouldn't know about myself, probably. But I think an interesting thing you see with bachelor couples is that so often in the years after they come off the show, the ones who break up and the ones who stay together will describe the same sort of dynamic, which is like we face this incredible like onslaught of attention and pressure to be a certain way. And the couples that stay together will often talk about how they were each other's rock. And the couples that break up will often talk about how they handled it differently and they didn't really know how to be that for each other because they were being like, why are? Why do you want us to do this in response to that attention? Why can't we do that instead? And so like just coming off this show creates this gigantic, unique hurdle for couples to navigate that if they had met in another setting, maybe they wouldn't have fallen in love because the setting is so unnatural, but also maybe they just wouldn't have had that unnatural, weird obstacle
4: to overcome Right, it really sets people up for failure in a lot of ways, romantically. Like, the amount of pressure on a relationship without a solid foundation, without the ability to really have, like, even your community kind of wrapped around you, because in those first few months, they have to be dating in secret, while all of this commentary is happening before they're even announced. Like it is, I can't imagine a worse way to date, honestly.
3: <laughs> we often talk yeah. about two, like the, the final two that get together. And then my partner is like watching the fantasy suites and like watching the the lead with the other, the, the second runner up or whatever. And my partner is like, that's going to be a fight. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, the whole process of having to watch it back has to be Right.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. Brutal.
5: Yeah. That was a big part of the Ben Higgins uh, and Lauren Bushnell breakup narrative was that she never got over him telling JoJo that he loved her as well, which Lauren did not find out until she saw it. Right. Air on the
3: show. Right. You gotta, right? You gotta say yeah. that once you get together. Prep. You gotta <laughs> yeah. prep
5: your partner for yeah. that. That's a rough conversation. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break, but stick around.
1: Just between us. And
2: we're back. Something I, I wonder about is like, you know, there's such a pressure to quote unquote be there for the right reasons. And if anyone alludes to the idea that being on a huge show <laughs> could get them inter- Instagram followers, then it's like they're, you know, the devil. The devil. And how dare they admit, how dare yeah. they say something like that? That's never crossed my mind. Like, <laughs> And I, like, I just think that's so wild. Like, how could you at this day and age go on to The Bachelor and not be thinking about that? And like, why do you think there is still like it is so taboo to admit it at all?
4: Because the show itself is so invested and has sort of like conscripted its uh, most like loyal soldiers within the franchise to like perpetrate this myth that that. That this show somehow is like exists outside of all of these other dynamics that, you know, we are all engaging with in our culture. Like it is the most it's the only reality dating show I can think of that is so adverse to engaging with social media and for so long prevented tried to like prevent its cast members from even being on social media like they used to make them not even be on twitter during while the season was airing like
5: and like you can see why because of how messy (laughs) things are now like if only none of their contestants didn't have old tweets and instagram likes that anyone could see right like what a dream for the show but they just they can't exist outside of that so they they relented Mm -hmm they knew it was unrealistic to, And they were like, maybe we can like harness the energy of social media instead, which has been successful to some extent, but it does bring with it a lot of downsides for the show. But
4: I think it also like the show is able to reinforce its own rules by allowing these little peaks in and then like punishing people mm-hmm. swiftly who violate the rules of the world. You know, it's like, oh, you, you dare speak of Instagram on camera? Like, Mm -hmm. you're being kicked out of paradise. Like, that (laughs) is it. You're done. My favorite was definitely Thomas
5: being badgered into admitting that he had considered (laughs) that sometimes The Bachelor is cast... From past contestants, of which he Outrageous. would be one, and he was like, "Yes, I suppose that I crossed my like, mind." They're like, "We know it." it. Right. I thought about it one time that that was a thing, and they're like, "He's like, I can't get say out. for sure that I've never considered that possibility." <laughs> and they like, were like, "It demon. seems like a realistic." Yeah. That was
2: so wild to me. That whole time that they were wild. villainizing Thomas, I was like, "What?" On what grounds? <laughs> like yeah. I couldn't. I know.
4: I was like, "Did we miss? Yeah. Like, What Weird. did he do?" And it turns out nothing. He did nothing. nothing. And yet that that storyline continued. He for did like it a year. right. Like, why did everybody
0: hate
3: him? Because so he's much? so handsome. They don't like it. And tall. He's tall.
5: Have you heard is how tall
0: he, he, is? he <laughs> is? Also, there's just like, the, like it's that. funny
3: to watch with people who have never watched before. So like, my friend's new partner is watching with us. And they're like, why doesn't she just say she loves him? And I'm like, oh, no, you can't. You have to say they can be falling in love. Like, to explain these things, (laughs) I sound nuts like i'm like no 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 and then it's like well have they been sleeping together the whole time no no they can only sleep together when it's the final three and they get this room oh well have they like you know talked about like religion or politics
4: no no they do that in the fantasy like it's like very they do that in in the tiny sex room that's where they talk about the politics will this be
5: a sex room or a talking about politics (laughs) Right, right right and like If you make the wrong decision, you could end up getting engaged to someone who, like, voted for Donald Trump. So choose wisely. (laughs) Or,
3: like, just these rules that are so, like, ridiculous. That's like, oh, are they still friends? No, they're (laughs) friends until, like, the final three. And then they hate each other.
5: (laughs) (laughs) They have to keep them apart so they don't rip each other's throats out. (laughs) It's all very healthy. I think
2: like one of the major weaknesses of the show as a viewer is not ever letting us see those kinds of conversations about real issues or real world anything, right? Like I want to see them talk about like what their politics are, if how like what. Where they want to live, Mm -hmm. like what, like the nitty gritty, like family dynamics, like actual stuff. And I think that that would also help with the buy in because then you'd feel like you actually know these people. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I know any of these people pretty much ever.
3: Yeah. For this season, I don't know any of them. They all look alike, too. It's very well, it's very, other than my love, (laughs) Avon. But like, other than the mullet, I guess I recognize the one guy that has a mullet, but like (laughs) I, they all like (laughs) they, I, I saw a post that was like, one of the good ways could be to fix the show could be doing what you said. And also to give them dates that are like, here are my real friends here. Here is, let's cook a meal together. Let's put together fucking Ikea furniture. Like. Let you know, like what? Ultimate what do you wh- when? What do you like to uh, like actually do in your hometown? Not something that's you know camera ready, but I, uh, you know, like just kind of real life simulation. Having their families meet each other or something, you know, Ooh. like real life, real stuff that would happen in that real could be life. Some good
4: drama. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's why even like m- one of my favorite parts of this season was the, like, the Paris episode where Rachel and Gabby were just on, like, dates walking around the city. And Mm -hmm. then they were obviously very drunk at a bar, like, giggling to each other. And that, I was like, yeah, this, this, yeah, it's, it's a, there's that element of wish fulfillment because they're in this beautiful European city. But also, they're just, like, walking around with some cute guys and they're chatting and we're getting a sense of their actual personalities. And, like, why don't we have more of that? Like that, I think, yeah, you want to see people, you you need to get more from all of these characters in order for us to give a shit about them. Mm -hmm. And they're just instead doubling and tripling down on Here's fireworks,
3: here's this, here's that, do this thing, be distracted. Don't ever, when it gets to the nighttime date and they're like, so I've been meaning to talk to you. I'm like, what have you been doing all day? (laughs)
5: That drives me crazy when the whole day date is like so tense because there's a big thing they need to talk about it. But but instead, they're just like, we can't talk about that right now. So I guess we'll just sit next to each other and sip champagne and talk about other stuff like other than the one thing I really want to talk about. Confusing. Like What are you, you going to do all day?
2: <laughs> I'm wondering what your thoughts are at how sexism plays out in the show. And if you think it's gotten any better, if it's gotten oh, worse, like what, you know?
4: <laughs> oh God, it's like morphed. That's such a yeah, big question. It's, I mean, sexism is inherent to the show, right? Like this is a show that was built on the promise of heterosexual, white, right-wing Christian marriage uh, <laughs> that involves like mandatory having of children. Like that is, Like that is the dna of the show. So I think that I think that's frankly part of why Claire and I started even talking about a show like The Bachelor because as people who thought about sexism and and wrote about sexism in our journalist careers, we saw this as kind of like the perfect avatar to talk about the way that sexism and misogyny and the patriarchy kind of play out in our in our romantic lives. Um and obviously The the structure of heterosexual marriage is kind of all about women as property uh, historically and about sort of women subjugating themselves for like men to have as many resources as possible. And so I think it's interesting to watch The Bachelor grapple with the changing conversation around gender dynamics and often the change is very slow and there's like a lot of fumbling around. But I do think even when they do it really poorly, we can see, because reality TV is made so rapidly, we do see these kind of shows. They're really reactive to the cultural Mm -hmm. conversation. So often changes are handled poorly, but I do think we see changes occur just even in the way that like, they used to never talk about sex at all we would have never gotten you know a hannah brown in the early season saying i fucked in a windmill four times and (laughs) jesus still loves me like (laughs) iconic um and i think you know in part the reason she was allowed to do that is because she also delivers something for that like evangelical core yeah but just even the acknowledgement that like a woman's sexual pleasure might be something worth pursuing like you wouldn't have have seen that even maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm.
5: Yeah, there's definitely been an evolution. I think that like one thing I've been randomly fixating on this season is that once again, we're going to have an argument about whether the final choice of the lead is going to propose. And I looked back and like, there have been a lot of seasons of The Bachelor where the man has just declined to propose and they've ended not engaged. But like every season of the Bachelor has ended, of the Bachelorette has ended with an engagement almost, and usually because, like often because the woman was like, "I demand mm-hmm. a proposal," and there's something just about the fact that the show is built around the act of a yeah. proposal, which is so inherently like sexist and patriarchal as a construct that like it is this thing that men. It's theirs to give or withhold. It's um, it's their choice to decide the timing and the manner of it. And the woman's place is to long for it and to feel that it is the ultimate marker of her worth and acceptance to be offered it. And so I fully, I mean, I'm someone who still to this day is like, I wish my proposal for my husband was more romantic. Like it's so deeply baked in. You're just like, <laughs> would I be a better woman if like he had like, covered the wall with love notes and like lit candles instead of just being like, hey, the rain came. Like, do you want to marry me? You know, it's so deeply baked in. <laughs> I I,
0: <laughs>
5: I was just like, couldn't it be a little bit more special? Um, So like, I understand why that desire is there in The Bachelorettes because it's so deeply baked in. You're yeah. like, I'm here. I'm supposed to be the most desirable woman. Why can't I have this thing that I've been so deeply conditioned to want and to to have as my joyful moment my moment of success why can't he just give it to me i i don't think that women should feel pressured to like not get engaged at the end if that's what they want in order to like prove that that their motivations are correct but the fact that like that's what it always comes down to is just so dated and it's because the whole show is built around a proposal right. and the the leads of the bachelor don't want to be like well i'm just going to do it because We've been so deeply conditioned to want to be given yeah, why
3: it by she the right
4: propose? man. Okay. The interesting thing is that in the very first season of The Bachelorette, if you rewatch it early on in the season, when Chris Harrison is like explaining the concept of The Bachelorette, they tease it as like, she's going, Trista is going to propose to someone in the end. And then they just mm. dropped it. Never spoke of it again had the man I bet propose that, and then I bet that Trista did, wanted a proposal like I'm sorry like
5: we like most straight women in this society have been deeply ingrained with the idea that that's a beautiful moment and we don't want to give the proposal instead but what that dynamic that sets up is to be on the top of the world as the bachelorette and to end your season by begging a man
4: right to make a right to propose to you. to you yeah it's like this seeding of power at the at the end, hour, when you've when the had the whole, power the
3: whole time. Right. Totally. Or, or at least
4: ostensibly had the power. It's like, well, this is one thing I don't, I'm, I'm not able to give myself or to ask for or to just like have. Right. And I still need that straight male affirmation that I'm like worthy as a person. And yeah, as Claire said, like I don't blame any of the women on the show for feeling that way because it, it is so, so deep in the way that, Straight women are are kind of raised and thought to taught taught to like think about ourselves and and our worth and it's just like it's very complicated but I do think that the show suffers and is fundamentally has a conservatism baked into it because it is so deeply attached to this idea that proposal is like the ultimate show of love the ultimate prize hmm.
2: And I think having two bachelorettes this this season is another way for the women to not feel in control and for them to feel like, oh, yeah, it's a bachelorette, but let's still make these women completely question their worth, you know, pit them against each other, have them not feel desirable, play up on all their insecurities, even though the bachelorette, you're supposed to just like be the lead that's in control. Yeah. But I I could never, ever see them doing two bachelors.
4: I don't know why they can't they do two bachelors? I wish they would. That would be really, I honestly, And I want I would them to do the that. exact
3: same Thelma and Louise photo shoot that they made the girls do. <laughs> oh, I want them, no, I want them to do a joint photo shoot. I want them dressed like Brokeback Mountain, or I'm not
1: doing it.
4: I support this.
3: <laughs> and I would also like to put in for being the first Trans Mask Bachelor. Ooh. Yeah. But you're
4: One already watch. engaged.
3: And that's queer culture, baby. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> would you two like to play a game show with us? Yes.
5: Yes. Yes. Very much so. So,
2: this game is called <laughs> Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And I, uh, I give a rose out to my favorite oh, answer. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a rose. (laughs) (laughs) So, our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of eight years goes to a psychic who tells them that they let their real love get away. And that's why they are so miserable in their current life. Reacting to this, they immediately go find their ex from college, propose, and sleep with them in an effort to get their life back on track. About 1 hour later, they come to their senses and confess everything to you, promising they will never see another psychic. <laughs> Would you forgive this cheater?
4: Claire, Emma? Uh, Can, um, do we get to also consult the psychic in this situation? Oh, I guess so if you wanted to. <laughs>
5: In this scenario, my life is exactly the same yes. as it is
4: now. we well, you've been
2: with your partner for eight years. I don't know how long you've been with your husband.
4: Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is interesting. I would
3: leave. I'll tell you what. Okay. I'm going to leave. Lay on me. I, they proposed to and slept with, and that all was in the first hour of the psychic. So like the site psych- <laughs> they saw the psychic. They found their ex. They pre- slept with them, and they proposed to them, and then and then that all happened in one hour.
2: No, one hour after that they came. To well, the how senses.
3: many days were they doing this? No, it was normal. all within one
2: day. It was within a couple I hours of no,
3: seeing this. No, a psychic. couple hours. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely. Not. Yeah, I,
4: yeah. I I think I'm with you. I think you gotta you gotta get the fuck out of yeah, there. Like no. I, it's just like that's like not a lot of faith in a relationship if a random psychic and you're just like. Your partner's just like, let me hit the road. Instagram stalk my college ex, propose to them, fuck them. Like it's it's a bridge too far. Yeah. I personally would go to the psychic because I would just wanna see. I would wanna know, like, what is my fate? Should you would I believe be this also- psychic? The
3: psychic, <laughs> the psychic takes off her mask. It's actually your partner's mother who always wanted them to be. The yeah, I, That's ex. what I
4: mean. Like you could, you could expose the yeah. scammer. Like I'm writing an investigative journalistic piece yeah. about the psychic. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to get my book deal. I'm going to leave my partner, get my book exactly. deal and up Out on of the New control. York Times bestsellers list. I'm sorry. So far
5: this just sounds like a HuffPost personals blog <laughs> yeah. at best. I'm sorry. Maybe you could do a lot with the material. Here's what I'm going to say. If your partner could like really get like make all that happen, that's not something you do on someone's advice. Like, they really wanted to, right. they were to waiting their ex. Mm-hmm. like yeah. real I agree. bad. Like, yeah. it, was
3: it was just, just like building, the,
4: like, it was already there.
3: They never even right. went to a psychic, no, they did. <laughs> okay, the psychic <laughs> no, I is just... the college ex again, wearing a <laughs> mask, <laughs> uh, knew that the, they wanted to be it because why would factor... that person? After one day, say, yeah, let's get married. It's you. It was always you.
2: They are of someone who's always been incredibly susceptible. They once changed careers based on a fortune cookie. My partner? Yeah. Sounds oh, like my
4: well, Then partner, I got to leave them anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't
5: think I could. I don't think I could be with this person. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do have a child with my partner. So that like does create a little. I. It might. It might tempt me to stay. Yeah.
3: It might. Uh, good for,
4: good for that kid. I feel like this psychic should provide free childcare for destroying <laughs> your relationship. I will say
5: that if we did break up, I'm hearing great things about the lifestyle impacts of joint custody <laughs> and. Getting 50% of my day socks. So, you know what? I think I would go ahead and meet my partner. And
2: that's
3: the best answer. This second <laughs> takes off her mask. It's Elizabeth Warren. She says, Free universal pre K. <laughs> and it was all politics all along.
5: Oh, I love it now.
3: <laughs> okay, our next game.
2: Are you a terrible parent? Oh, God. Your child, four. <laughs> Keeps pinch... Is a therapy session? Here we go. (laughs) Your child, four, keeps pinching everyone as a goof, but it is causing real problems at the playground. So the next time they pinch you, you scream and pretend to pass out from the pain for a full five minutes. (laughs) Your child is hysterically crying the whole time, thinking you are dead, but they never pinch again. Are you a terrible parent?
5: Yes. I'm sorry. That's that's a no no.
2: Which part specifically?
5: My, scaring your your small like not yet mentally developed practically a baby child that much thinking they've killed you is extremely traumatizing mm. and pinching is like not great, but it's, like, developmentally pretty normal. Not that big of a deal. There are much better ways to handle that. I follow a lot of parenting
4: <laughs> accounts now on Instagram. Sorry. You're, like, pinching is fine.
5: I'm sorry. The ability to lie there while your small, small child cries time. hysterically, thinking you have, they have killed you, like, that is sociopathic. Like, that is deeply fucked up. Your kid's going to be in what therapy. What if
3: they don't... Okay, Claire, what if they don't... You. It's not as far as they killed you. What if you just pass out for like 20 seconds and then open your eyes and say, oh my God, that made me pass out. Not killed.
5: <laughs> I think that's fine. Aren't they just going to be like, why aren't people ever passing out when I pinch them other places? Yeah, I don't know if that would have the same deterrent. I'll say some people are deeply
3: allergic to pinches and you never know who it's going to be. <laughs> So don't pinch anyone because some people will
5: pass out. That is kind of adorable. <laughs> Thank you. I'm allergic to pinches. You say okay. there's
3: one in one in one thousand people are allergic to pinches, but you never know who it's going to be. Twenty
4: very different than five minutes, and the scenario we heard specified five minutes. That's true. I'm also going to say you relying on fear to
5: like fear, even that something bad is happening to you as a deterrent for your child. It it happens sometimes your child bites your nipple, you scream because it really hurts. That isn't it. It it does sometimes turn into them thinking that acting like that is an appropriate way for them to handle problems by screaming
3: and saying, (laughs) like, I you've hurt me when you haven't. So now your child's just playing
4: dead yeah, every time. Yeah, you keep time. getting calls you from did. the teacher <laughs> that they've been
2: passed out for five minutes.
4: Because <laughs> they didn't get
2: a second
5: juice box. <laughs> You've
4: created a monster child who's like...
1: Yeah, the
5: babysitter is constantly calling you like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I killed your child. And then he's like what no it's like, I, I just, was wanted, just more cookie cookie dough. And I wanted more cookie more you give though. me more
0: cookies
5: <laughs> yeah I think this one's pretty good I was gonna bad. say this is an arrested development <laughs> it scenario arrested and development. The, the point of it was not that it was a good idea <laughs> whatever <laughs> okay our
3: final
2: game would you forgive this liar you go into work the night after getting dumped and find yourself crying in the bathroom stall one of your coworkers who you don't know that well hears you and ends up consoling you over coffee. They share intimate stories of their own heartbreak and you end up becoming quick friends. Three years later, you are at their house for dinner and it comes out through their spouse that your coworker has never been dumped in their entire life. They made the stories <laughs> up to make you feel better and to seem relatable. Would you forgive this liar?
4: Oh, wow.
2: wow. Um. <laughs>
4: Wow, I mean, I think we'd have to have like a long talk about like why they felt the need to do that. I mean, okay, so they told like really detailed, yes. specific stories.
5: Uh, this might seem like like a detail, but like, did it come up again? Like, is it something that we talked about again after this right. moment? Like, what's the has the f-
2: you now have a, a friendship around much more than that? But yeah, but occasionally okay. something will happen. you be like, oh, that's like. With you and Joel. And they're yes. like, yeah, ugh, don't remind me. But Joel didn't exist.
4: Okay, so they they do oh, like mention so it. They've they really like committed yeah. to the so lie not, over the years. So
3: it's not that they did date Joel, but they dumped Joel. Joel didn't dump them. It's that Joel didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, they, pre- they fabricated.
2: I believed
3: in Joel. <laughs> they
2: fabricated co- like entire people. Have I ever oh, seen like, a
3: picture of any of these people?
2: No, they said it was too painful to show you. No, wow.
4: I'm out. Um, oh, that's, that's like a that's real commitment to a lie that's different than like, if it was like we had some drinks and they were like, yeah, I relate to you and told like a couple stories and it's, it wasn't formative to the friendship. And then like years later, you're like, they were like, I just really like wanted to be your friend. I wanted to be there for you. So I like lie and I, that was stupid and I'm sorry that I could get over.
5: Yeah. If it was like the spouse,
4: yeah, they've yeah they've constructed an yeah, elaborate they've, like, fantasy world and got their buy-in for many many years. I think that would and they have weren't an going to the, the foundation. Stole- Honestly, yeah.
5: maybe this is weird. I think I would forgive them in in a sense that like I don't think that that thing harmed me that much, but like do I want to be friends with them? Like, maybe I would be like, I forgive you, but I don't want to hang out anymore. Like you didn't really hurt me that much. But at the same time, I now think of you in a category with like, untrustworthy, weird grifters, (laughs) like people who pretend to have cancer online. Like I find out all your Facebook friends are sock puppets. Like
4: you're in a new category of person that I just kind of don't want to. You're like my friend, the scammer. It's like, maybe you'd be like, yes, I forgive you. And then like screen all their calls. Yeah.
5: Yeah. That would probably be my move—forgiveness, but no more friendship.
4: Yeah, I would do like <laughs> the slow fade away because I don't enjoy conflict. So I just like I'm so busy. I wish now. you well. Y-
2: you work go right forth next and to don't them.
4: make up a bunch of breakups again. We
5: work next to yeah, each other. Oh you God. met each other,
2: your coworkers. What? What? Remember,
5: but like we still, still, well, you,
2: you're both very loyal to the corporation. <laughs>
5: And the corporation is clearly very loyal to you both as yeah, well, which is us. beautiful. They haven't been yeah. promoted
2: or given a race.
3: Ne- not even
2: a, a not even the, like a
3: Christmas bonus.
2: Or like I think in- we have to quit our or...
4: jobs to get away from this.
3: Yeah.
4: this <laughs> yeah. Start
2: fresh
3: with your life. Yeah. <laughs> I want stock options. Yeah. <laughs> Go on The Bachelor to get away. Become an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> then some Reddit person digs up Joel who actually was real.
0: Oh, <laughs> my God.
3: Yeah, but Joel's like, I was real and this person was mean to my ex. I don't know. They come up with so <laughs> so many stories. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Reality, Steve. You know what I mean? Well, if you go on the show and your trauma dump is that you're like, my friend made up someone named Joel yeah. <laughs> that they dated and was heartbroken by and that person never existed, then you've set yourself up for a Reddit but I would expose. also be
2: like, that's some fascinating trauma. haven't heard that before yeah i was
4: like romance scammed by my best friend
5: where where are the contestants who are victims of romance scams one of the girls on the show next season is from
3: the tinder swindler like she's just one of the girls that got tinder i
4: would love that like it give me more overt scam content in my bachelor viewing that would really be great (laughs) <laughs> oh, this was so fun. Thank Delightful. you so much for joining us. Where can people find you, follow you and listen to your pod? You can find our pod uh, wherever you get podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Claire and Emma pod and on Twitter and TikTok at love to see it pod. And then I'm on social media at Emma Lady Rose. And I'm
5: at Claire E. Fallon. Our podcast, of course, is Love to See It. We also have a newsletter, Rich Tax, which you can find on Substack. And thank you so much for having us. This was super fun.
2: (laughs) Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about quiet quitting. Shh. to
3: just between us it's time for topics x x x x x baby
0: baby Baby.
3: (laughs) ow oh no hit my hand on the wall gabby hit their hand on the wall oh no well 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 here we are again Quiet quitting. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to do that right now. (laughs) I'm
2: going to not. I'm going to display quiet quitting by technically being here during the recording of this podcast. But I'm not going to contribute any original
0: thoughts. (laughs) Why don't, since this isn't an original thought, why don't you explain what quiet quitting is? Yeah,
2: tell us what it is. It's a term used to make employees feel bad, but it's basically just,
0: just the doing your work <laughs> that they're
2: only doing what they're being paid to do instead of going above and beyond for their employer and doing things they're not being paid to do, which is what has come to be expected of a lot of employees.
3: Can you imagine telling like someone in the like 70s 80s 90s that this was a contest.
2: <laughs> like, oh you're just doing your job <laughs> what a loser yeah, you're packing like, up at
3: five
0: wow right that's what
3: I'm saying like I think okay here's what happened everyone gaslit millennials into thinking that we had to just like work so hard and work above and beyond for peanuts and like not have health care and then like our employer would let us play in a pool table like mm-hmm. once every five weeks and then all of a sudden like Everyone's like, no, we, we should just go back to doing our jobs because we're not getting paid enough and we can't buy homes and we can't afford to have children. And everyone's like, no, why? And it's like, I don't know. Maybe because we like went through a recession upon another recession upon a pandemic and we're over it. Nobody pays anything. Every store I go to, every place I go, I see help wanted, help wanted, okay? So you know what? Maybe the problem is you're not treating your employees correctly and you're not paying them enough because- the turnover rates are abysmal. I'd say
2: something, but I've
3: quietly quit. Oh, you've
0: quietly quit. <laughs> Got it. I second everything you said. Quiet
3: quitting
2: <laughs> it's
0: is the
3: concept doing your work. Of doing your job, of coming in at nine and leaving at five, metaphorically.
0: Taking doing your, your job, full lunch break. Taking your full lunch break. Not talking to everybody else. Like it's ridiculous. But the thing is, like, I hate I, I really hate when things are misnamed. Yes. Absolutely. Because People have taken this thing quiet quitting without because re- it was originally like a NPR thing, right? I, don't I know. believe. Ooh, no. You
3: know what? I I will blame them. Yeah,
0: it was, but the thing wherever it was, it was a full article explaining exactly what we're saying, like about how it's just doing your job. But then people just took the name and what was the tweetable thing, and they're making it something that it's not.
2: Well, it's misleading, right? It's like it's it's want they're doing it so that people feel guilty about it. Like it's yeah. purposefully named that way to make it seem like a negative
3: thing. You're and not quitting. If you're doing your job, you're, you're not, not quitting. quitting. You're just going home.
2: Right. You're just like not giving your life and blood to some employee to some employer who like doesn't deserve it.
3: Here's what's happening is that. People are doing their bare minimum and they're not getting fired. So they're calling it quiet quitting because people are just because they there's no leverage for the employers anymore because people just don't because like they're like, well, I have to keep this. Per-. Speaking of someone I know in my real life is being overworked so hard and the, they're and like that person has so much leverage now because this place can't keep employees mm-hmm. because they don't treat them correctly. And so. It's like you can't call it quiet quitting if you're just like not able to fire people because you're you don't create an environment where people can thrive and succeed. Do they have leverage? Have they stopped working as hard? They're going to. Yeah, Yeah.
0: going to. I mean,
3: I think it's like I think it's this thing where you can't you need to hire more people to fill in the gaps rather than just having the four people you do have working Oh, like extending themselves to death. Right. You can't ask. You need to hire another employee. I'm sorry. You can't ask the same person to work double their work for the same pay because you don't want to hire one extra person.
2: Yeah. And I think it's also like this mental shift. Like you said, like we were raised with like, you got to work hard. You got to give it your all. Mm -hmm. Your job is your identity. Like to get ahead, you've got to like you know, like work comes first and everyone after going through a years long horrific pandemic is like, maybe other things matter.
3: Yes. And also it is to the exploitation of yourself. And also if you are running yourself ragged to like show your boss X, Y, and Z, then the, the people under you, like you're just crushing people on your way up and you're not going to even get rewarded for it. You're like the kiss ass in the class who like doesn't even get extra credit. So like what, It's just, it's just like, well, I don't know. I think we were sold this idea that we would get extra credit, that we would be able to like have ourselves, right. And and like, it's just not right. And it's just like, that didn't end up being true. And we're like, hey, that wasn't true. And they're like, why are you quitting? And we're like, we're not quitting. Uh, We just are like going to do our jobs and then focus on things that really matter to us, like family or hobbies or other things.
2: What do you think would be a better name for what it actually is?
0: Doing your job. Packing up and leaving at the end of the day when you're not getting paid anymore. You don't have to answer emails on the weekend. Like, fuck oh that. Oh my gosh, that's one of my biggest...
3: Although I do email Melissa on the weekend. I, do. I don't yeah. but I You answer. don't reply, and I don't expect you to. I
2: right. actually,
0: I, What I do is I will sit there, and I'll write out the email, but I schedule my email, emails out so they don't go out until the next... Until, like, the work day. Oh, wow. You are a workaholic. I'm not a workaholic. I just, like... If I'm sitting there and I see it, then I don't want it to like... But you want I people... Don't, yeah. I don't consider myself a workaholic because I work for the things that I want. Like, I can stop. I There's just a certain amount of lifestyle that I would like. <laughs> and so, like, I work to maintain that lifestyle. But, like, if I didn't want to maintain that lifestyle, I just wouldn't do as much work as I do.
2: Right, right. I saw someone have an email signature that was like please keep in mind that my work hours are not your work hours. So feel no need to like reply when reply when it's your work hours. Wow. And I thought that that was like so cool. Yeah. Like it's such a what Like I feel like that culture is awesome of like, yeah, get back to me when you're on the clock, not like immediately or when I'm on the clock. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was the coolest. Yeah,
3: Yeah. Or just like if you're not going to pay people a living wage, which we literally don't, which again, like the people that are pissed about this, I've largely seen like older, older white people. And like, if you're pissed about this, you, when you were coming up, when you were working your beginning jobs, you were making enough money to support yourself. The cost of living has not maintained the same level as the uh, minimum wage or or wages. So why would someone donate more of their time or go overboard or work themselves to death if they are not still not going to be able to afford an apartment.
0: Right.
3: So, yeah. like, that I don't see how that's the employee's fault or problem. Or guess what? If you, you don't have, you're not owed this person like g- taking initiative because if you haven't rewarded that initiative, you're not a good boss or manager. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I would call, instead of calling it quiet quitting,
2: I would call it doing your job. Exactly. Doing just your job.
3: (laughs) And why do we put all this? You know, like people used to just like go and like do their little accounting jobs or do their like work at a restaurant or whatever. But now there's like there's like all this pressure to be like the most initiative or like become like a famous accountant on TikTok or whatever. It's like everyone just calm down.
0: And hustle and have more than one job. And
3: yeah, yeah. Well, before, when you weren't at work, no one could get in touch with
2: you. Oh, God. Because you didn't have email or or a smartphone. Right, right. And so that really shifted. Like, you know, I think when my dad was a lawyer, like, pre-having, like, everyone Mm -hmm. email him versus post. Like, Mm -hmm. it's different. It it changed work culture in both good but mostly bad ways.
0: Yeah. I like that one time where Gabby was texting us about something about work stuff on a Saturday and we were both like, no working on yeah.
2: Saturday. He, <laughs> they were trying to work and both of are like, nope, we're not entertaining this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. I, I I have my own problems with it. I have my own problems with it. My boss is a real hard ass. Just kidding. My boss is me. <laughs> um, but, in, well, in some ways. In other ways, no. But yeah, I think like, having boundaries around when you answer things. And I see a lot of people fighting back. I'm on like Reddit. I'm on late stage capitalism Reddit. I'm on the anti-work Reddit. And you see a lot of good examples of ways people people respond to requests from bosses that are unreasonable. So if you're looking for some of those, I suggest heading on over there.
2: What, can you give one?
3: Oh, it'll just be people being like, I don't answer emails on the weekend or something. Just like being there, they'll have like a bunch of them or it'll be, you know, a boss saying, I need you. I know you asked for this day off, but I actually need you to come in. And the person will be like, I asked for that day off months ago. I will not be coming in. This is not my fault. Yeah. So.
0: I've also had like clients that expect more from, or like expect immediate things or, expect like i laid out a outline of things of this is what this is for this price and then they expect more and i'm like well you need to pay more Uh uh-huh or like i resend the emails showing that like this is what you paid for you're not getting more than that Mm
2: -hmm. do people get
0: hostile one person did but then (laughs) they uh when i laid everything out and then i said if you want more then you can pay more and they're like okay this is fine and
2: no, it sucks that like the expectation has become more mm-hmm. and
3: to, to pay has do, not.
2: and the pay has not. And then to do what what was actually agreed upon is like seen as like that you are somehow ripping Lazy them off, ripping them, or them or off, please
3: poop on the clock, baby. This is like, has anyone seen the movie Clerks? Hello, Office Space. Those are your that, that, that's what you should watch this weekend.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not even going to come to these recordings anymore. Well,
0: you don't have to. You're not you coming anymore? Come anymore? You say you don't want to. If you don't want to be here, don't be here. I want to be here. Okay. Quiet
3: quitting would be you coming and then just not saying anything.
0: Yeah, That's, No, quiet quitting is you coming and showing up and doing the work, but like not staying to do the TikToks.
3: Yeah, or not yeah. like not talking to us in between or whatever. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to talk to you guys in between.
2: Okay. I'm just going to sit like this.
3: Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. um. But it's, it's hard. What do we rate this episode? I rate it 80 out of 7, Finding Community.
0: That's got to be your highest rating ever. It is. I will rate it 42
2: out of 35, Roses.
3: Nice. Nice.
0: I'll rate it 13 out of 6, Don't Ask More of Me Than You. I don't know. Don't ask more of me.
3: don't you know don't ask don't tell we're just don't ask (laughs) well thank you to claire fallon and emma gray for being our guests just between us is a forever jog production hosted by me allison raskin and me gabby dunn produced by melissa diamond Montz, edited by coco lorenz executive produced by brett Boehm, joe cilio alex ramsey and tracy soren brendan burns composed our killer theme music to listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at
2: foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash forever dog team or on our channel, youtube.com slash just between us
3: show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also at Allison Raskin, at she is not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, You can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye!
4: Forever!
3: Dog!